Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat if you would. Good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. You know, one of the things I love about Common Ground is that we are a, a group on mission with God. We are going somewhere. Um, if, uh, if you're new and you're visiting and you're thinking maybe this is one of those good churches to come sit because they've got good music and watch, um, love you to be here and stay, but before long you'll realize Actually, we're more about going somewhere with Jesus. Jesus is at work, kind of like Preston and Linda's story. Um, they weren't planning on moving, and, and they're not like right out of college going, where are we going to go? They were listening, and God changed and adjusted and moved, and so that's, uh, that's what we want to be about, what God is doing. I want you to imagine with me that you knew the world was going to end in two months. Somehow you knew. What would you do differently? If you knew in two months Jesus was returning, everything was going to be done, would you change anything? Sorry, this sounds weird. Is that better? What would you do? Would there be certain habits you would finally try and kick before it's over? Are there relationships you would try and mend? Is there a place you would want to go visit? What would you do differently? Imagine this with me. You walk out of here today. It is November 11th, 2018. You walk out, you get in your car, and immediately there's a big flash. And you look up, you get out, and all the mountains are covered in flaming chariots and horses, and you see Jesus coming down. What are you feeling? Yeah, fear, regret, like, wait a minute, give me five minutes. I need to repent of some things. What would you be feeling at that moment? Well, here's the thing. Uh, the world might end in a few months. In fact, I read a, uh, a report, I think it's in April. So I don't know if you knew that, but in April, there are certain constellations and stars that are pretty significant, and they're going to align in a certain way that in April, Jesus is returning. So it's right now... November, December, January, February, March. Okay, so five, you have five months. You know, we've had those predictions before. 2012, it was going to end. Um, and actually, go on Wikipedia, and you'll go through. Basically, every year, somebody is claiming they've figured out the code of when Jesus is coming back and when the end of the world is. So my question, though, this morning is, how should we think about the end? I was looking up pictures, maybe you've seen those people with the sandwich boards, you know, the end is near. I saw one, there was a, a teenager, the end is near, and about 15 yards behind him is his little brother with a shirt on, the end. But how, how, do, how do we think about the end, or do we, or should we? Well, Jesus, in the book of Matthew, spent a couple chapters on this topic, so turn to Matthew if you would. We are in our third week of a four-week survey of the book of Matthew. And so we're kind of grabbing big themes, big pictures out of the book. And here we have two whole chapters about the end. Two whole chapters. So we don't really have to guess about what the end might be like or what Jesus wants us to think about the end. He's going to tell us. And he does talk about this in the other books of the Bible, in the other Gospels. But in Matthew, he talks about it more than anywhere else. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Matthew's, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We're going to look at a lot of verses, but really we're going to see Jesus teaching and we're going to 
pretty much let Jesus teach. Uh, he was probably the best preacher ever. And so we're going to read a lot, but I want you to picture the scene. So we're in, we're in Matthew 24. Let me start with these verses. It says, Jesus left the temple. And was going away, and when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So then after this, they go up, they sit down on the Mount of Olives. The disciples come to him. They're going to ask him two questions that he's going to spend the rest of the two chapters answering. But picture that with me. You... Just walked out of the temple. By the way, Jesus just ripped into the Pharisees in the temple. Basically, it was this big, big ordeal in the temple where Jesus said, God is done with this and walked out. And the disciples are like, hey, look at these buildings. They're really cool. And the temple was pretty amazing. Uh, I don't think we have anything like it right now in the world. It was amazing. And so they're looking, you know, covered in gold. The outside was all covered in gold. Uh, so pure, it, was, it looked white. But they're like, look how great this is. And Jesus says, this is all going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left on another. And by the way, the, the temple had been rebuilt and broken down several times, but it had never been completely destroyed. So to completely take one stone off every other stone is a pretty bold prediction. And they're going to come to him. They're going to sit down on this mountain. And they're going to say, when is this going to happen? And what are going to be the signs of your coming back? And he's going to answer this. So picture with me, you're sitting on a, a log or you're sitting on a rock, or you're leaning against a tree, something, but you're up on this mountain, and Jesus sits down with just a few of us, however many are in here, and he's going to tell us. He's going to answer these questions, and we're going to let him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your very clear teaching. Thank you that there's, there's some things we don't know, there's some mysteries, there's some things we do know, and we don't have to guess at it. I pray that you would... Uh, Clarify to us today what the end is going to be like, what you want us to think about, how you want us to behave. I pray that if there's anything that we need to change, that we would change, that Holy Spirit, you would do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look at 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Aren't those questions we've all wanted answered? Those are questions that we have, as humans, we continue to ask. What are the signs that the end is close? Because we want to know, because we want to do whatever we want to do, just right up till the end. So what are the signs that the end is close? And when is it going to happen? They wanted to know. How do we know it's happening? When, like, give us a date, Jesus. And so Jesus is going to go on and he's going to give some, some prophecies. Let's uh, look at verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will see, or, and you will hear rumors, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And he goes on and he talks about the abomination of desolation where somebody's going to come into the temple and, and uh, sacrifice something to themselves, basically set themselves up as king. Um, but in verse 23, we're skipping a little bit, it says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. Now he goes on here. When I was in high school, maybe you remember the books, the Left Behind series. Those came out when I was in high school. And I read the first one, and I was hooked. It was awesome. Then I read the second one. It was great. Then I read the third one. It was great. And then the author started to realize, we can really stretch this out and make a lot of money. And, it, and so then a book would cover like five minutes. I think there were 16 in the end, and I only read four. Because uh, it was when he was writing them. And so I'd finish one, and I'd wait for the next one to come out. Um, but these books were all about the end about when Jesus comes back, about the tribulation and the rapture and all these things. And it was exciting because it was a theory of what the end is going to look like. Based on this chapter in Matthew and in the book of Daniel and in Revelation, if you ever read some of that, there's a lot of stuff in there. What's the end going to look like? There's going to be this, this tribulation. There's going to be the rapture where the Christians are taken up to be with him. And there's all these details. And so these books were great because we got to see one of the interpretations of what the end might be like in a fun, kind of exciting way. And it, it actually spurred conversations on with other people. I remember I was working construction, and I remember reading one at lunchtime because I was so hooked. I'd stop working and read. And, but it spurred conversations with the guys I was working on of the end. Oh, do you really believe Jesus is coming back and those things? But here's, here's the thing. You could, you could develop a really elaborate idea of the end and lay it out exactly what it's going to look like. You could say, based on Daniel and Revelation and here, that uh, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation, but the Christians aren't going to be in it because they're going to be raptured right before. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus is going to come back. Oh, but halfway through those seven years, uh, there's going to be something that happens in Jerusalem with the temple. There's going to be what's called the Antichrist. He's going to set himself up as ruler of everything. And then three and a half years later, Jesus will return. Uh, and, and there's going to be a big battle called Armageddon. And that's going to usher in the millennium, a thousand year reign. So all of that. And guess what? You could believe that. And then you could meet somebody else down the street who also believes the Bible and interprets that very differently. And then you can go to another one down the road, and somebody else interprets that very differently. And we don't know which one is exactly right. I have opinions, but I got my opinions to a certain extent from the things I've read. Other people have read different things and have different, but we come back to Scripture, and we do see some things that are very, very clear. So, if you thought maybe we were going to lay out all the details, like this is going to happen, and, and look, you see Russia and Iran, and we're not doing that, because we'll probably be wrong. I mean, to be completely honest, we'll probably get a lot of it wrong, and in the end, we'll get up there and go, oh, oh, I was really wrong about a lot of those things. And you'll see, though, it's kind of interesting. They wanted to know the signs, and Jesus gave them a bunch, and we've seen a lot of those already happen. So it could be any day. And, he, and they want to know the time, and how does he answer that one? He says, if we can find it, no one knows the day or the hour. 
No one knows. Not even the son. So when Jesus was there at the time, he didn't know when the end was going to come. And that's not really what he was concerned about. What he does want us to know, here's a couple things. Now, chapter 24, look down, verse 4. He begins with this. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. And if we look at the last 2,000 years, there have been plenty of those things. Messiah's coming and saying, I'm Jesus, I'm back. And people follow and then they drink Kool-Aid or they go up on a roof to catch a comet coming by that's going to get them. I mean, all, there's more stories than that. But we know these stories. But Jesus wanted to make very clear, do not be confused. Do not be confused. Look at verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. So, if you ever see a news report or a friend come saying, hey, Jesus has returned and he's over there, you can automatically go, nope, wrong. It's not. Jesus made very clear that's not the way it's going to happen. And he elaborates in verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus wants them to understand this. When I come, you'll know it. Everybody will know it. It'll be like lightning flashing east to us. The whole sky is lit up. We will know when he comes back. And he elaborates then in verse 30. It says, Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Look down at verse 36, that's the one I quoted. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This is in your notes. When Jesus comes, he will be visible to all. And when will he return? Jesus makes clear that no one knows when he will return. Does that mean we shouldn't study these things and try and figure out? Absolutely not. I think it's great. It's one of the, the best things to spur on evangelism in the church is to study the end time stuff. But when you get to the point that you're so dogmatic about your view that it's, it's creating problems with other believers, that's a problem. A lot of churches have been actually split over things like this, over when is the end coming and all this. Uh, but I'll tell you right now, there seems to be an adjustment within the American church. There seems to be a shift moving past standing dogmatically on these secondary things in order to unify the church. And I'm excited to see what God is doing with that. But what, what else does he say that we can understand? Look at verse 37. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in the heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Then he explains, he elaborates. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then he goes on to talk more. His point, you remember the, the story of Noah and his flood, Noah was building this ark, and everybody's like, ah, what are you doing? We've never had a flood. What's going on? Finally, he finishes the ark after many, many decades of building, and then the rains come. And the rains fell so fast, and the earth split up, that the flood happened so quickly, nobody escaped except for Noah and his family in the ark. 
But in that time, people were getting married. They were having meals. It'll be the same in the end as it was there. Basically, we're going to still be going to soccer. <laughs> we're going to be still, you know, somebody's going to be a freshman in college. Somebody is going to be graduating from law school or a doctorate for 12 years, ready to enter, and then the end will come. <laughs> I mean, but, but that's what I mean. There will be a baby just born, just ready to start life. Jesus will come back. There will be old folks ready to die and won't because Jesus will come. Life is going to go on just like normal. That's the point. Yeah, there are some signs, but if you think there's going to be this whole chance, and we know it's, nope. When everything is normal, you're going to be doing dishes. <laughs> and boom, flash out. It's like, yes, leave the kitchen full of dishes and, and we're done. But that's, a, it's going to, mid-meal, food on your way to your mouth. I, I mean, it's going to happen suddenly. Jesus will return suddenly when life is normal and he's not expected. Get that, not expected. So if we expect him, he probably won't come right then. He's going to wait a day or two till he's not expected. And in 45 to 51, he describes what will happen. He says, who then is faithful and wise? 45, the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So the idea here, though, is a master of a house is leaving and he sets a servant over his house. I'll be back later. But if the servant's like, oh, he's not going to be back anytime soon. I get to now control everything, starts beating the other servants. The master will return when he doesn't expect it. A good servant goes, I'm not sure when he's going to come back, so I'm going to live as if he will any second. And the master will return and go, oh, you've been faithful. You're taking good care of the stuff that I've given you. Rewards will be given to those who are faithful. Punishment to those who are surprised. That's what he talks about in these verses, the punishment that will come. In verse 50, it says, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, we want to know the signs. We want to know the time. Jesus is more concerned about how we live until he comes back, looking that he will be coming back soon. Now, chapter 25. So Jesus kind of says these things, and then he tells a few stories to elaborate his main point. This is why I really like doing this survey. A lot of times we'll preach on, what, 10 verses? But here we're looking at two chapters. We get to see Jesus' big idea. A lot of times, if you just narrow on a few, you get some good stuff, but you miss the big point because Jesus really had a main point as he went through this. And look at chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So here's that scene, the, the pictures. There's going to be a wedding feast, a party. The bridegroom is coming. These ten virgins are all invited. Five are smart, five are wise, five are foolish. And they go out. They expect him to be coming right away. So five of them didn't bring any extra oil for their lamps. That's what they used back then, oil. If you've ever used those, they're kind of cool. But they... Didn't bring extra oil. Their lamps were going. They're sitting by the road waiting. Uh, they all fall asleep. Finally, at midnight, 
the bridegroom comes. Somebody's ringing a bell. He's here. He's here. They, they all wake up. They trim their lamps to get them ready. And the five foolish ones, their, their oil's gone. They turn to the others and they say, give us some of your oil. They said, no, we prepared. You didn't. You got to go buy some. So those five go off to buy some, but they miss out. The door opens. They go in. They come later saying, hey, we're here. You know, we got some oil. Now we're here. Let us in. Said, I, I don't know you. That's the picture of those of us who are going to be wise, meaning we don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could be right now. It could be 10 years. It could be 100 years. But we plan. So we're prepared. We're planning, looking that he's going to return, and, and we're diligent. The foolish go, he's coming right away, or he's coming later. Either way is, is a wrong view. He says in verse 13, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. Therefore, keep watch. This is one of Jesus' main points. You don't know when I'm coming, so keep watch. So keep watch. Now look on. He tells another story, starting in verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. Now, you might be familiar with it. I'm not going to read all of these. But here's, here's this story that Jesus tells. He says, again, a wise man or a, an owner, a manager, he leaves town. And he gives to his servants, three different servants, he gives them amount of money. He gives one, say, 1000 bucks. He gives another 500 bucks and another 100 bucks, And he leaves. And he goes away on this journey. And when he comes back, he calls his servants. These servants we're supposed to use his money for their own good, but also to grow it for him. And so he calls the one who brought a thousand bucks. He said, what'd you do with my thousand bucks? He's like, well, I invested in Apple. Um, and I, I got really involved trying to raise your money. And, and you, so here it is all back and here's all your stocks. He's like, wow, sweet. You made a lot more. He said, you keep it. And now I'm going to put you over some more stuff. Here's your reward. The one with 500 comes like, what'd you do with my 500? He's like, oh, I invested in, you know, whatever another big one is now. And it made 500 more. Here's your money. He's like, well done. Good job. Calls the one who he gave 100 to. And he comes like, what'd you do with my 100 bucks? He's like, it's buried over there. Let me go get it. Comes back. He's like, here's your money back. I knew you're kind of a hard man. And I really didn't want to lose. I didn't want to mess up. So I just, I just hit it. And so here it is. He says, you foolish slave. You should have put it in a bank. You would have at least made some interest. And then I would have had my money back with interest. But you're wicked and you're lazy. Here's his point on this side. You don't know when the master's coming back. You've been given talents, meaning money, meaning abilities, meaning time. That's kind of how we, we line those up. Our time, our talents, and our treasure are all gifts from God that he's given. And he says, use these for my glory, for my benefit. And when I come back, we'll settle up. That's the idea. If in this life we have all these gifts, abilities, talents, time, all these things, and we don't use them for him, we're going to be like this wicked servant in the end where he goes, you were lazy. You were all about your own stuff. You didn't do what I had you to do. We'll see that there's going to be a reaping. The faithful will be rewarded and the unfaithful will be judged eternally. Again, he makes that point. Look at verse 29, 25, 29. This is the end of that parable. He says, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance from, from the one who does not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says the same thing at the end of this parable as he did about the other one. 
keep watch and be about his business. And then it, finally he finishes this chapter starting in verse 31. And again, we're not going to read all of these. But he, he, let me read the first couple. 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Does that sound kind of cool? That's why I said, picture that we walk out and the, light, you know, the sky lights up and the hills are filled with angels, angels. And I think in the end, it looks like there's horses. I don't know how that works, but Jesus is going to be on a horse. I mean, it's going to be awesome. So in that day, when he comes in all his glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, meaning everybody. And he will separate people one from another as a, sh a sheep, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he goes on to list why they get to go in. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. He said, I was in prison and you visited me. Because they asked, they said, basically, why do we get to go in? He said, because your relationship with me resulted in you living it out. But then there's another group, the goats. You see his point. Jesus wants to make very clear this idea that all roads lead to heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. There is one road that leads to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ alone. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Jesus alone. So in the end, because God is loving and just, there will be a separation, those who believe in him and those who do not. And those who do not, he goes on, and they say this. Verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. And naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for the... One of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This looks like there's a picture of those who are in church, who look like Jesus' followers. And in the end, they're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, I didn't know you. Depart from me. And they're going to go, what? I did all this stuff for you. He's like, no, you didn't. You did it for you. You didn't do it for me. He said, when you saw people actually in need and you could do something about it, you didn't. And when you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Here's his point. Those whose relationship with Jesus resulted in true compassion for his people will receive life. The pretenders and those who openly reject Jesus will be judged and condemned. Now, again, we have to go back to what we talk about. Faith and works. It's all about faith. We're saved by Jesus alone. But if we have the Holy Spirit in us, there will be something different. We are new creations. There will be some compassion for those hurting, for those needy, for others. If you don't have that, I would say, check yourself. How are you with Jesus? You could be a Jesus follower, but you're just wandering in your own way. Or maybe you've never actually bowed the knee to him before. But we see here there will be a separation in the end. So as we look at these two chapters, how did Jesus answer those questions? Hey, what are going to be the signs? When do you come back? What's the date? 
He said, here's the signs. They're kind of vague. Good luck with that. Not that we don't look. I, I mean, it, not that we don't study that. It's a great study. But if they were really clear, we'd all agree on that one. He said, but here, you know, the date, don't know that one either. Sorry. He said, but I am coming back. And when I come back, you will all see me. You'll know it's me. And when I come back, you will be with me in glory forever. And when I come back, those will be rewarded who are watching and waiting and about my business. That is very clearly Jesus' main point in these chapters. Are you looking for Jesus' return? You know, I read a story, and I think it was the Atlantic, of racers. And if they fix their eyes on the finish line, they run faster. Those who, who would get, you know, looking around, they would slow down. But those who just, they chose something right around the finish and they fixed their eyes on it, those often would win more than others. That's the idea with, with this race of life. Do we have our eyes fixed on the end? That this life is short. And until Jesus comes back, and he will, we're to be about his business. Watching, waiting. And by the way, that watching and waiting isn't looking at the signs. It's not trying to figure out all the prophecies. It's watching your own life. That's what we're watching. What, what did you feel when I said you walk out of here and Jesus returns? What do you feel? Is it guilt? Is it guilt? Is it fear? Is it because you haven't been watching your life? Is there sin in your life that you're just letting go, that you need to deal with? Are we about his business, watching, waiting, and about his business? Are we laboring as a good steward? Next week, we're going to look on a little bit more about what we do in this interim period. But here's the exciting thing about these two chapters. Jesus is coming back. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Awesome. Jesus is coming back. Are we excited about it? Are we looking forward to it? Are we praying toward that? Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that we can count on you returning. Thank you that you have left some things somewhat vague. But thank you that you have made certain things very, very clear. That until your return, we are to be about your business. But it's not out of duty. It's not out of... Uh, I need to earn, but it's in response to your love for us. It's in response to your sacrifice for us and what you've done. We love you. Holy Spirit, continue to be with us as we worship, as we raise our voices to you. Uh, God, I pray that we would respond in any way that you would call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.